it says something about our own kind of collective darkness. So I just, I think about, well, what are we, the, you know, the 21st century audience, we need to reconnect to the fact that we can still be deeply superstitious. We can still be very, very paranoid. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr., Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the 2015 horror film, The Witch, and I'm honored to welcome to the show, Amy Otero. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. So before we get into the actual movie itself... What are what are your kind of your thoughts? And this is, I guess, leading into the conversation on uh, director, I guess, writer director Robert Eggers and his very distinctive take on what a horror movie is. Because I know when The Witch came out, people uh-huh. were very divided on does this count as a horror movie? Like a lot of like horror people were were kind of I think complaining on it. I feel like I did an episode at one point that my brother was on the show. And even he was like, yeah, it's not The Witch. And, uh, and, and then I eventually checked it out and had a completely different, re- different reaction, which we'll get into. But what are your thoughts on kind of his approach to the genre? And then we can talk about The Lighthouse for a bit. Um, well, actually, I'm very grateful for his contribution because I am a person, I, I have always had an appreciation for the terrific, you know, the things that, in, that it incite terror but I cannot abide jump scares and an mm-hmm. excess of them. It alienates me as an audience member. If you are, if you do it a couple of times and it's well threaded in the narrative, because I want to have the immersive experience. I want to jump. If the, if the character jumps, I want to feel those things. But I think after a while for me, I just feel like I'm being exploited. Like the, the, the technique itself is being exploited I'm also not a lover of gore. Um, I have an appreciation for it as an art form. Um, I understand. I just do. I've had a lot of friends who are artists who are very, you know, who are gore enthusiasts and have kind of helped me appreciate uh, what it is. But in terms of it being part of the the horror story that I want to be involved in, I just don't particularly respond to the to those things. And those are things I think that have dominated the genre. For a good long time, um, like for instance, my my uh, the the works that made impressions on me as a as a child would be like The Omen and Rosemary's Baby, uh, where so much of it I felt like was camera and character and music and holding the moment long enough to let the audience be uncertain for a moment what was going to happen, and I think this guy brings that back to me and I feel kind of like like I'm being included again in the horror in the horror audience because I I do appreciate a, a good scary story I mean I love them I love them um but I don't like jump scares <laughs> <laughs> well jump scares are inherently cheap I think that's the thing yeah. and and um as far as gore it, you know that could be that's a useful tool and there is an element of you know, I'm thinking of uh, the Evil Dead movies, especially yeah. the, you know, gore is a part of it, but it doesn't, it's not inherently scary in and of itself, just because something is bloody and, 
and you know messy doesn't mean you know doesn't mean it it is by its very nature terrifying i mean right, i'm thinking but- and i think sam raimi was one of the people that does that the best i'm thinking like the ash versus evil dead tv show which is really gory but almost more funny than, <laughs> than it is scary it's just like yeah. it's, it creates a yeah i think certain uh, filmmakers need to know how to employ that yeah i mean i understand uh the frustration that maybe lovers of the horror genre might have had with the witch mm-hmm. um but it didn't the fact that it didn't have jump scares wasn't certainly was not the only thing that, you know, resonated with me just to answer, you know, your initial question, the idea of what he, who he is as a director or what he's doing and this being his, you know, essentially his maiden voyage, um, his first, you know, feature length film. This is what I noticed about him. And then I saw it repeated in the lighthouse, the same things that he was employing were the things that to me were, reminiscent of Rosemary's Baby or The Omen, where you are given a brief glimpse into a deeply disturbing image, and he just holds it long enough for you to kind of focus on what you're looking at, but then he takes it away from you. And so you're stuck with that image just like lingering in the foreground of your consciousness, and you don't really know what you saw. And I um, I liked that about The Lighthouse, too. Um but yeah. Yeah. And I think both movies too, they, they share, well, kind of a, a period setting. They share a very specific um, way of talking, like especially in The Witch. I mean, but, well, I guess in both of them, there's there's mm-hmm. a very specific dialect that's used. There's a, there's a, it's more about creating an environment and an aesthetic. Right. Than it is just, you know, neither of these is set in like, you know, 2020 where people are either texting and all that stuff. There's certain timelessness to both of them. I think yeah. that, that yeah. is, yeah, that, that land that makes it easier for us in a way to be sucked into the, to the situation because it is already something completely foreign from our experience and therefore already kind of scary just because we don't know what to expect. Yeah, I agree. Both works were deeply immersive for me. Um, I really lost track of, kind of time and space while watching them. I mean, and I, I, I love any series or movie that really has me believing that I'm, that I'm there. Um, and I think like the, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the successful part is how, uh, you know, viscerally uncomfortable both settings were, um, but still very, I don't know, magical and, and ethereal and, and Mm. I don't know, it was, yeah. I mean, I could talk about almost any aspect (laughs) of like, you know, cause I just, like you brought up setting and now I'm like paralleling scenes from both pieces. Right. You know, I'm thinking of the lighthouse and the, the fuzziness. There was so much, uh, Mo, I feel like at least I my I, and, I, and I haven't rewatched the lighthouse, but my memory of it was that there were just moments of just fuzziness, like you really don't know what you're looking at. The light would become very, very bright, and it would kind of you know overexpose for a minute, and and again you're uncomfortable watching, like you're physically uncomfortable watching it because the light is so intense, the literal light of the lighthouse, you know. Mm-hmm. So. And you don't know in both films, I think at various points, you're like, is something 
super, like truly supernatural happening, or is it just an unreliable narrator, or is it just right. like a metaphorical moment right. that's in the film itself? And and so because of that, you're you're you are kind of infected in a way by the sort of paranoia and descent into madness that I think is is present in both movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The more I think about it, the more it, they really are like it's astonishingly close in their in a lot of the techniques and and work as a, in a way as almost companion pieces actually yeah they're definitely descents into hell i mean um there's definitely layers to it as well it just keeps getting deeper and deeper um yeah I, i'm just thinking about about the witch and and if you follow thomas in as a character and you say it's her story is it a descent into madness or a descent into hell for her? Mm -hmm. Or if you choose to look at it like the character is the entire family and what happens to them, and absolutely, I mean, that's certainly a descent of, like, biblical proportions, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think there's a lot of symbolism in both, especially, I mean, honestly, especially in the white and the, the lighthouse, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, of, there's a lot going on with the, uh, with the seagulls and with the, the what the yeah. light represents and all of that kind of, like, I feel like both of these, each of them and kind of have a deep dive analysis and we'll be here for several hours. Uh, and I, I think yeah. it's, it's really yeah. encouraging for uh, to go back to the genre as a whole, the fact that, you know, I, I feel like the last decade or so, it's been a lot of, as you sort of alluded to, the sort of torture porn kind of thing, uh, where it's just... <laughs> yeah, I, that, that yeah. phrase, I use that phrase a lot because that was something that was really for a while there uh, deterring me from Game of Thrones back mm -hmm. in, what, season four and season five, somewhere in there where it just... I just was like, okay, well, at some point you, you've surpassed character development. What is the value of this scene? Right. Like, we, you know. Right. And I think you're, you're seeing kind of a new class of horror filmmakers emerging just in the last few years. I'm thinking like Robert Eggers, Jordan Peele, and uh, Ari Aster, and uh, Jennifer Kent. I don't know if you've seen The Baba Duke, but that's like another one that I feel like is very psychological uh, in its approach right. to horror. And I think that obviously tends to unsettle us much more than, oh, that's gross. <laughs> that kind of thing just sounds right, great. No, I, have not, I have not seen The Babadook. I just watched um, Midsummer. Okay. okay. That's yeah. that's the, I, and I can't, honestly, I can't bring myself to, to watch Hereditary because mm -hmm. I you know what happens in it. And right. everyone who knows me says, you know what? You don't need to watch that movie. <laughs> yeah, there's always... <laughs> Yeah, it's, so, yeah, so I I will I will resist doing that, but I do want to see the Babadook. My daughter's been been begging me to watch it with her. She she finds it fascinating and loves talking about it. I uh, made quite an impression on her. Yeah, yeah. It's again one of those where you can tell that every the horror is really representing kind of a real life uh, experience. I think in, in this movie, The Witch, <laughs> it's really about more paranoia. And uh, I guess religious fanaticism and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, the family's an existential crisis. I mean, they're having a, they're having a spiritual crisis, and that's no small thing, you know. Um, but yeah, mm, I was just, you, yeah, you were talking about, you were talking about uh, the, 
the Babadook and the and the common denominators among the the, the recent filmmakers of the, these hard and it makes me kind of think about Edgar Allan Poe um, and the kind of I you know the 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 point of view that's so characteristic of his work and how um, you know we're given you know as an audience we're given this opportunity to to be in this this consciousness this you know this first person point of view and and it's typically a pretty deeply deranged or at least unraveling you know person it's you know point of view it's like a so the, those works kind of remind me these works kind of remind me of what i like about edgar Allan poe and what actually does create horror and suspense and for me it's that tie to the narrator you know yeah, there's a certain classical nature, I think, to Robert Eggers' work in, in both the movies. And a lot of the ones that we're seeing now, I mean, there's either, like I said, there's either some kind of psychological, like, um, metaphorical component that, like, oh, this supernatural element is really standing in for this, you know, right, psychological right. phenomena or whatever. <laughs> Uh, right. Or, or more, or kind of imbuing it with more of a sense of social commentary, like Jordan Peele's, you know, Us and right. Get Out and things like right. that. And I think we're seeing, it's it's a, it's an exciting time, I think, for horror fans to witness sort of a, all these fresh voices bringing such, you know, exciting and very different perspectives to the genre. Yeah. And I think right. Robert Eggers just with the, well with The Witch alone, but I think with The Lighthouse, he just really affirmed the fact that. He his, has a lot to say about a lot of different things, and he ha, has um, he's making movies that feel in a way like not of this time, and, and I think that's not not just because they're set in in they're in period settings, but also you know the lighthouse being completely in black and white, and the performance style specifically from Willem Dafoe, who I don't know how he didn't get a, an Academy Award nomination for that. Oh, but, I know. Okay, that's, yeah. that's a whole he political was, yeah. crap. He was I guess. very mythical. I, I yeah. That was beautiful casting. Yeah, he was amazing in that. And, and the film just got uh, cinematography and that's it, which is, again, kind of ridiculous. The Witch didn't get yeah. any nominations whatsoever, as, as far as right. I'm aware, which is insanity. Um, and we'll get in more into that in a second. Well, you, you had mentioned just that about, about it being a period piece and it was being, well, it's not you're just a period piece. And for me, um, I think part of the beauty of both films has everything to do with its setting because I feel like both pieces are, in a way, for lack of a better phrase, uh, word, mm -hmm. uh, a love letter to New England. That's true. Like his, his, you know, that, you know, he, he the, I watched a couple of videos with him talking, and I mean, he, he really has immersed, you know, he has really spent most of his life studying. New England folklore, and and I think I think that there was a reverence there that's obvious in the work. There was a reverence for the setting and for the people, you know. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a tendency to really point to make Puritans kind of cartoonishly ridiculous, you know, because they just the whole idea. I mean, we just it's and and this this was such a nuanced perspective of just these people just being real people trying to live in accordance with their faith and their principles while dealing with pride and temptation and resentment and all the things that make us human, you know, it was a difficult existence to be a Puritan. And I feel like only a kid in new England growing up in new England, making a point of studying new England would 
have that kind of sensitivity that I feel like both works, even though the lighthouse is so fantastical. Just, I mean, like there's, I think he, he definitely calls the witch uh, a new England folktale. And I think he called the lighthouse a new England myth or, or something myth. He referred it, it's to it. definitely very, yeah, it's very steeped in, in the mythology. Right. Uh, and the, and the, you know, Willem Dafoe's character mentions that throughout. He talks about, Oh, you know, that's bad. Oh, that's yeah. a bad omen. And like everything is sort of right. kind of t- tied into uh, Prometheus and that, that whole thing. Yeah. It makes you want to have like a copy of rhyme or the ancient mariner, you know, like on, on your person while you're watching it. Right. <laughs> so, kind of. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, to the witch as well, it's also the family dealing with tragedy in the mm-hmm. midst of of um, their faith. I mean, and then that's something that you saw just recently in Midsummer, which the whole thing kind of spirals out of personal tragedy and how we react to that and how uh, how it, it shifts our perspective and stuff. And I feel like we're now really keying into the actual movie itself. But um, did you have any anything else more on a broader sense you wanted to get into before we uh, before we just get into the movie? No, yeah, no, I'm good. All right. Well, then before we talk, before we launch into our conversation, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer for The Witch. this family. That was a little bit of the trailer for The Witch from 2015 from writer-director Robert Eggers. So Amy, why did you want to talk about this film specifically? Well, there's so many things I just find fascinating about it. It it really made an impression on me. But I'll just I'll just start with the first thing. I love that damn goat. I just think that animal is hilarious and wonderful. <laughs> and one of the things I did after I saw I've seen the movie a couple of times, but immediately after the first time I saw it, I went online to, you know, read about this guy and why this film and why this story right. and and um, I just stumbled upon this little story about how, you know, they did not expect to get as much footage of that goat as they actually did, because it was just like putting it out there and all of its goatiness. And it really did break that that actor's rib. Oh, wow. I mean, it was yeah, it was quite. So I don't know that whole story. I just thought like the imagery he said, it's such a powerful image. Mm-hmm. It was such a beautiful animal. And uh, that just with the the cinematography and the monochromatic, I just thought it was a beautiful aesthetic. I just thought it was a really beautiful, beautiful film. Um, and then the second time I watched it, I watched it with the subtitles. And I um, 
just appreciated the beauty of the language. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of one of my favorite time periods, uh, literarily speaking. And the, the actors speaking those lines and that dialect and the writing of them, I, you know, the way he wrote them, I just, it was just one thing after another. Every time I watched the film, there was just something else that I deeply appreciated, you know? Yeah, I uh, I really like Black Phillip as well. Uh, the I mean, he's a he's a meme now. He is. He's a he really is. That line is is iconic. The the right. living de- deliciously, right? Uh, and it's delivered so perfectly. It sounds like it, I know it's not the same actor, but it almost sounds like the um, it almost sounds like Darth Maul a little bit. It's like, would you like to live life oh. deliciously? <laughs> that kind of thing. And I and I agree with you. The early modern English that's used in the movie just really. Mm-hmm. It, it, it sweeps you up in a way where y- it feels like no other horror movie that we've ever seen before. And the the cast of actors that we've never seen, I know Anya Taylor-Joy has now been in a bunch of stuff. She's If they ever release it, will be right. in that X-Men, The New Mutants, <laughs> which has been pushed for like three years. Uh, oh, she was Lord. in Split and all those other things. So, But when this came out, nobody knew who any of these people were. So right. it almost sort of feels like like they're real, like this is just a society. Then they just cast a real Puritan family in this movie. Almost it has some, not sure. no, it's not found footage like Blair Witch, but it has that sort of like man, this just this feels too real. Like and and that makes yeah. everything that much more impactful. I think. Right, right, yeah, I agree. I agree. So we st- um, we start the movie off, and the family is banished. Uh, do they do they even make it clear what they're banished for? I kind of didn't one hundred percent catch that. Um, it's a dis- it's a disagreement. Something about um, the religious. Of the, yeah, yes, it's a disagreement of the interpretation of scripture, and you know, Puritan pure scripture, little interpretation to no interpretation. Right. And so he felt in conflict with what was being interpreted through the the church of that established commonwealth. And he was being put in a position to, it, you know, um, surrender to their authority. But in doing that, it he believed it put him at odds with scripture. Right. So he refused and was banished. And he says something very interesting in that scene, which I think is often like I didn't I didn't I didn't really hear it the first couple of times I saw it. But when they banish him, they they kind of put it to him in a question, I think. Um, And he responds with, I would be glad on it. And that's a really it's like that that's an interesting character thing there, because you, uh, you know, as you're watching him kind of, you know, who can't admire you know, someone standing in, in defense of their religious convictions, you know, mm. this is not how I interpret the word of God. And I am not going to, I, you know, I'm not going to, you know, have you tell me what that means. I mean, the whole point of making the voyage across the sea was so that they could come to this new world and not be told how to interpret scripture. Right. Um, so when he says that, though, I should be glad on it. It really, really humanizes him. You know, it's such a prideful moment. And I think that um, the only one in the in the shot that has a reaction is Thomasine. Her head whips around and she looks at him. 
And the rest of the family is standing like staring at the, you know, at the panel of judges. But she looks like, like almost, I mean, like, is that her, like recognizing that, that he's, that, you know, pride is a sin. He's committing a sin. You know, this is, wow. You know, you're about to get us banished and you're glad about it. You know, there's some kind of like moment there between, you know, her and her father, unbeknownst to him, because he's standing in his pride, right. facing down his judges, you know, and he says, you, I won't be judged by false Christians. She, she does have a certain heightened sense of awareness and like a certain, I think, rebelliousness and bitterness. And, and that probably is that moment is probably the seed for all of that, that she knows if her father had reacted differently, they wouldn't be out on right. this, you know, trying to start a new life with, you know, their crops not growing, kind of starving and at each other's throats. They wouldn't be in the situation. And I think, you know, that's probably the moment where she already starts to be sort of flippant that later on she's messing with the kids about like, oh, I'm the witch of the wood. You kind of. Right. I, I would completely agree with that. But I would argue that that moment actually comes after Samuel is abducted because mm. right prior to Samuel being abducted, she prays and and she's in the she's on her knees. She's you know the the the, the shot is framed to where she you know we're looking down at her. She's looking up at us. She's got prayer hands and she's just you know she's begging God to to fill her with light and for her to feel the Holy Spirit and to be forgiven and to show her grace and you know, forgive her wickedness and all of these things. And she's very penitent and she's very humble. And she is very, you know, she's a very honest person in prayer. Mm -hmm. um, and then immediately after that, Samuel's taken and she receives the blame for every bad thing that happens on that farm. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, if you, if you are Thomasine, that's, you know, that's the, that's how God does or does not answer your prayer. Right. That's hard. That's, you know, and she is still, this is also kind of a weird coming of age story. It is. It really, yeah, it really is. I mean, the mother, Catherine yeah. says at one point that, um, I forget how she phrases it because it's in early modern English, but that like, she's basically at the beginnings of womanhood, essentially. Yeah. At least she's, you know, yeah. I think supposed to be like 16, something like that around there. <laughs> Um, right, that was the impression I got. Fifteen, yeah, fifteen, sixteen, uh, maybe even fourteen. Um, but yeah, I mean, she she has a real bad string of luck. I mean, the whole family does. We, well, yes. you know, we know that. But I'm not sure if any of the things that happened to Thomason are a result of her inherent wickedness or pride. Right. I mean, maybe when she, maybe when she teases the, the sister, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think she's inherently wicked or prideful. I think it's a certain point. She's like, no, I'm not the witch. I'm not the win. I'm like, I'm not behind any right. of this. And then at a certain point she's like, right. you know what? I might as well be behind this now. <laughs> what else? I have nothing else left and we're getting ahead of ourselves there. But I, I think it's, it's, it's kind of that situation that like the whole world turns against you and says you are one thing that you're like, yeah, sure. Okay, fine. You say I'm that right. thing now. I'll be that thing, I guess. Um, okay. She's a scapegoat. Pretty much. Yeah. Unlike uh, Black Phillip, who was a regular goat. Um, right. And she's also, she's also the least important person on that farm 
in terms of her value mm. because she is not, you know, she's at this point, she's becoming a liability because she's not going to, um, you know, obviously to have sons on a farm are, you know, that goes without saying. And when you have smaller daughters, they can do certain work. But once you start to have a daughter who's becoming an adult, she's just, an, she's an expense. Right. Um, well, that's their and, first solution when things start to go right. bad. They're like, well, we need to get rid of Thomason and send her off to another family. So it makes sense that she's so easily scapegoated because I think if, you know, in, in the hierarchy of Puritan society, the girl is on the bottom, you know, so that's, it's already, you know, it's already woven into the collective psyche of the family, of the greater culture, of the religion itself. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so it's just a, it's just a natural assumption that, oh, well, there are witches here. Well, where's the young woman that's coming of age and all that that implies in quotes, mm -hmm. you know, then she is the one who will be the, the least resistance to the devil, right? The devil will find the path of least resistance through her because she's so inherently spiritually corrupt to begin with. Um, that, that would be why all girls that age would just be, con you know, that there would always be a veil of suspicion around them anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so I think he's apt, and this is why, again, I feel like this is a guy who really knows the culture of where he came from, you know, because those, I don't think the piece was feminist, I'm not, I, but I think, I don't, oh, actually, I don't think he was trying to tell a story through a feminist perspective or present a feminist piece, mm -hmm. but as a feminist, I appreciated that, um, detail to the story that it was a reminder that she I mean the first thing remember the first thing her mother calls her when they finally have the the confrontation is that you're a slut yeah and I watched you try to seduce your brother and your dad she first, says I think yeah, too and your father yeah that's the first place the mother goes it's just there it's all it's in the foreground of the of the of the consciousness for the world to see her that way right you know, so it's almost like, you know, she's almost like in vain trying to be the person she was at the beginning when she's praying and, and begging for the light of God and for the Holy Spirit and for grace and all of these, which which we get to see Caleb experience. Mm -hmm. Caleb gets to, I mean, if you, if you believe that he was experiencing grace and was being saved, um, the mother believed that he was, that he was being damned. But I thought that that was moment of rapture for him before he crosses over yeah because remember he and the father have that uh conversation in the forest about samuel and whether or not samuel was in hell right and they, you know they talk about the pre the predestination or uh of puritan belief that only god knows who are the sons of abraham and and who are you know doomed to go to hell and and you know that's a hard that's a difficult way to see the world because it's really saying that, you know, you need to walk the walk of Christianity your whole life. You need to, to be devout and to pre, you know, to say the gospel, you know, to, to be in accordance with the gospels and all those things. But at the end of your life, it's very possible you're going to go to hell anyway and be damned, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that whole faith to me just feels like 
it's just is it a con it has to be in a constant state of crisis how do you reconcile how, how do you reconcile that yeah you know what i mean yeah no i, I agree and yeah. so and he and and samuel has that moment well what will happen to me when i die when i die you know and then we get to see this happen to him and he gets to experience rapture which is the best possible thing a puritan could ever want ever ever you know that's the point um and I think that was kind of telling, you know, that that it was Caleb that got that got, and you know, you know the <laughs> the happy ending, I guess. Poor thing. I mean, that was such a tragic scene. I know, and the, that actor does such a tremendous job with oh, it too. He did. he did. He really did. RV there were a lot saw. of things. Yeah. yeah, there were a lot of moments in these films that I think would have made me kind of uncomfortable being a child actor. Um, mm. But I don't, I mean, I didn't feel like any of it was creepy or anything like that. And I feel like that that's probably a testament to, you know, the, the director and his relationship with his actors. Right. You know, and it, and it also feels true. Like you were saying, it feels true to uh, the dynamic here feels true to the time and to the society and, and, kinds of the, the kind of questions that they would, if they were, you know, dared enough to, to question their faith that they would raise and that they would, that they would, uh, discuss. And I think the movie is kind of putting us almost in dialogue with, with that. It's like, well, yeah, does that, I mean, how does that all work? Like when you're coming from this extreme of a religious standpoint at this point, yeah. it's like, well, how, does that make sense? Like, what is, you know, what are the, you know, how fair is this really when all is said and done? What is supposed to be our salvation and that kind of thing? And I think we see with Caleb earlier, like, the, Caleb, I think his big sin, as we see in the movie, is he's kind of lusting after his sister a little bit throughout the course right. of the movie. And that's how the witch is able to sort of entice him by appearing as, like, a beautiful woman in a red dress. And, uh, and kind of, I, I guess... I don't know, but no, we don't see what, again, we don't see what happens off screen. We just see him show up naked randomly out, outside, kind of uh, right. in, in a sort of trance, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, that was pretty, that, that was a pretty, hero, that was a pretty horrible moment. Um, yeah, I mean, again, a deeply sexually repressed culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, all things natural are inherently corrupt, Nature is inherently corrupt. I mean, the idea is to civilize, um, to dominate those things that are wild, including the inner landscape, you know, the human, you know, our human darkness, those things that are, that still tie us, I guess, to the animal world, you know. Um, so how do you come of age in a, in, you know, and, and not just a culture like that, but in the isolation that they were. Right. And that was, that was one of the things that kind of felt like the whole, like uh, the, the story of the family in, in isolation, the family on the fringes of civilization, the, the family outcast, those were all things that felt very biblical to me, mm. you know? Um, and, those were also things that I recognized from like the early Puritan literature that I read in college and the themes in those pieces, in those works. So ingrained, like in every single shot, you know, I felt like in some ways I was looking at a storybook, you know, like the pages of a, of a storybook. It was so that, you know, 
again, coming back to that New England folktale authenticity. I mean, I'm not from New England. I've, I've had a fascination with, uh, early New England, specifically puritanical, you know, Puritan literature, um, colonial literature. And I have spent a little bit of time in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And I mean, it's, it's got a lot of really, I, yeah, I probably should stop talking because I'm just like <laughs> off on the thread of like, you know, how does the work function to tell us something about ourselves as Americans? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if we looked if we if we looked at it like, okay, yes, it's a it's a New England folktale and it perfectly um, characterizes the beliefs and the and the assumptions of the time period. Um, and we see what happens to this family, and you know, it's even a cautionary tale, warning against pride. You know, all of those things. Um, but I think about, okay, what about the contemporary audience? What does the 21st century audience look at and, and understand about ourselves? And that, that very much is a part of who we are as Americans and our American identity. That's part, that's one of the threads and it's a, it's a pretty, pretty dominant thread, you know? And I think we have to remember and kind of reconnect with the reality that, you know, this was, this was how, this is what people believed. This was the reality for people. The devil was real and he was in the woods and witches were real and they were waiting to corrupt you and we can turn on each other, um, in the, you know, in the face of these things and, you know, in our fears um, and that's what I think was one of the things that happened in the family was that they kind of ultimately, I mean, they tried to hold it together, but it was an unraveling until it was eventually, you know, I mean, the scene between her and her mother was one of the truly only really disturbing scenes for me. I was, I had to look away in that moment. Mm-hmm. The other scenes didn't really disturb me, but that one was hard to watch. Well, it's also, I think it's, it's the, you know, religious faith versus like, like they put so much trust in God and their whole thing constantly is, Oh, the Lord will provide for us. That kind of thing. They don't have the trust, the same trust in each other. So as soon as anything goes wrong, they're like, it's just, they're the, the pointing finger starts to happen, the mistrust. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like, this I get like the movie sort of I guess says the seeds of corruption in the family just blossom and overtake all of them until there's right. only one left standing. Um, I also I just wanted I wanted to get into the the way that this movie is really bold in not only how dark it's willing to go but toying with that supernatural element. I mean we're like less than ten minutes in before a baby gets stolen and sort of mashed oh. into uh, <laughs> an ointment. Basically, right. and um, right. I, I, you know, you it's kind of brazen that the movie not only does the movie, I feel like most films would just have the child be missing and then leave us with that, but not only do we, does the child get taken, we see the child in the witch's lair, I guess, with the blade, yeah. we see the mashing on the application yeah. of what I guess is a flying ointment, it's flying ointment, yeah, yeah. and um, and you definitely, I mean, this. You definitely want the oil, uh, the fat from an unbaptized baby. Mm-hmm. See, this guy knew this. You know, yeah. this, this. Uh, you know, I, I, I am currently teaching Macbeth right now, and I teach Macbeth through historical criticism, and we have to read a lot about, you know, James the First of England and his, 
his obsession with witches and the the collective paranoia and the stuff that people wrote about what witches allegedly did and and their recipes for things and their you know their spells and all of this and and like that he that little detail right there was just I was like wow like this guy knows this guy this guy did his research and that scene also too is um one of the examples of that fuzziness that I was talking about mm-hmm. like what am I looking at you know mm-hmm. am I really seeing what I'm what what I think I'm seeing right. <laughs> and as soon as you start to kind of realize what you're looking at he cuts and and it's it's enough um it's not too much you know but that yeah and you're right that was the first 10 10 or 12 minutes i think yeah that moment with hide and seek is is very early in the movie and uh and you know we see what happened with samuel where there's a period where they were wondering where is you know where is the child and and I think that they, they mm-hmm. at some point just say, oh, you know, if he's not, if the wolves didn't get him, hunger would have at this point. Right. And I think Catherine right. even takes William to task for the fact that I told you we should have baptized him. And he's like, we can't baptize him outside the congregation yeah. and all that. Um, where, again, it falls back on his shoulders and that pride. I haven't tracked this, but I have a feeling if we go through this movie, we will find all of the seven deadly sins very apparently pointed out. But there's pride. Oh, there's lust after your sister. There's envy over, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, I feel like he purposefully yes. baked all of them into the downfall of this family. And uh, I think. Well, he, yeah, go ahead. He said uh, in an interview that he spent quite a long time reading prayer books and just Puritan um, clerical literature, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I think that you're probably right. I mean, I think that it's it's even I think some of the the dialogue even was lifted straight off the pages of some of those. Yeah, he has a, a title card or something that says more or less that something to that effect mm-hmm. at, at the very end of the film. Yes, yes, which I caught as well. Um, right. But yes, and I, and I think that that's it's really it's really interesting to me how how the the supernatural element is handled in that. You know, mm-hmm. we see the child taken, we see the child, you know, used to make flying ointment, but we don't ever, we don't see any levitation or anything really magical until probably the last half hour. I, I think. think what you're seeing, I think what you're seeing is that he's making the choice to assume mm-hmm. that we are all Puritans too, and we know what we're looking mm-hmm. at. Okay. Um, there, there isn't a, um, here, let me tell my audience that witches would use baby fat to make flying ointment to rub on their bodies and you know it that was so you know there wasn't anything clinical about that scene there was nothing explanatory about it it was completely just it was just image it was a completely almost kind of poetic scene yeah it makes it that much more unsettling because you're like wait what the hell is happening like you said the quick cut I think that again that there's there's an assumption that he makes that we get it that we are already immersed in the culture and that it's not anything he has to you know convince us hey yes in case you're wondering these really are witches like that's and that's again part of what I appreciated about it. Mm-hmm. Um and for the same thing I liked I think about like you know films like Mid um Midsummer too. You know. Yeah, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um I want to talk about the, well, obviously we already mentioned a little bit about Black Phillip, but the animals, there's also the rabbit that I guess it's an evil rabbit too at various points. Do, yeah, you, do you have I any insight on that? Yeah, I think it's a hare. Okay. 
Um, if it's again to if he's borrowing from you know 16th and 17th century lore about witches, then the hair is sacred to uh, the witch. She's you know it's one of the familiar forms, um, and it's because of its associations with the moon, um, you know, and and in the springtime and the full moon, the 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 hairs. They they fight, you know. They they battle for their territorial mm. dominance and their and their you know and they and so like the the image of the hare dancing under the moonlight. I mean, what else dances under the moonlight? Mm. You know, a witch. So of course, these things are are connected. So yeah. So I think I I have an affinity for rabbits and hares. I I think they're pretty pretty amazing. Um, but I, I liked how, if you considered the hair, um, the witch, then she's really in a lot more of the story than, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> like, I mean, like she really is kind of almost omnipresent in, in, in these moments, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. the movie did really, I, I think uses the sort of perverts the animal imagery as well. I mean, we have not, um, I think oh, yeah. Thomason drops the, uh, drops the egg and it has like the yeah. dead baby chick in there. There's yeah. also the, the milk that turns to blood. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I really, I thought that was all really interesting. And I, I'm curious as to, you know, your reaction to some of that and the way that the way that, if you're looking at this, like I almost see this movie the way it ends as sort of in, uh, it's like a a witch's recruitment sort of or like initiation yeah. basically. Well, it's like they're grooming well, her for. Sorry, go ahead. They're grooming right, it's her like a what like 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 an anti-baptism, kind like of, a dark baptism yeah. kind of thing. Um, well, the interesting thing about the animals, and when you were talking about the animals, I was thinking about the dog and what happened to the dog, mm-hmm. and I know that like. Uh, uh, the Elizabethan idea of there being uh, the great chain of being where there is a hierarchy of all life on the planet all the way down to rocks and minerals and and it's all ranked. It's all ranked to its relation with God and how close it is to God. And there is uh, one, you know, a chain of being, a great chain of being for the animal world. And of course, animals that are... Um, you know, beautiful and powerful, like the lion or the bear or the wolf, you know, these things would be ranked kind of high. Um, animals that can be domesticated and dominated, those would be animals that would be, you know, rated pretty low unless it was a dog, which was useful and essential to, you know, man's success mm-hmm. at life. Um, and so when I think about the animals that are corrupted, and the dog that is essentially destroyed by this evil, right? He can't persist because he's too good. <laughs> you know, like he's he's part of that um, chain of being, but he's he's too close to God to be able to exist uh, amongst these witches. They have these corrupt, these corruptible lower animals around them. You know, these these the livestock and the rabbit and the crow, you know, the, or the hare and the, the crow, the crow is a scavenger, you know, it's associations with the hag, all of those things, you know, but the good dog, man's best friend, 
you know, he meets a tragic end Mm -hmm. and it's, and it's part of that same, again, that six, that 17th century ideology that adds to the, like you said, the, the, I don't know, the, 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 well, the folktale of it, the, this, this, the, the immersion of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It's a, there's a, it's a lot. It's a lot to talk about. In it, this is, one. it really is. It is. There's so much going on in this movie. So what do you make of the, if, if this, the whole point of this exercise with this family, like the witch is preying on this family specifically to, in order to, to recruit Thomason into the coven. Okay. Do you think that so that's. The dark- um, I don't think it was a recruitment um, for Thompson. Like, I well, think that yeah. I think. Well, I mean, I think you can make the argument. I think I think there's enough evidence that yeah, you could probably support that 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 was an you know let's let's get her. Um, um, I think. I guess I'm just looking at it from Thomason's point of view, mm-hmm. and so I'm oblivious because I do believe that she was oblivious. Right. You know. Oh yeah, 100%. and I. I believe that you know when she con when when she has that moment with Black Philip, it's parallel to her prayer. It's shot in a parallel way. Mm-hmm. So at the beginning, she's penitent and praying um, to God. It parallels to her conjuring. I conjure you, Black Philip. You will speak to me. And she's in power. You know, she's not. She's not begging. She's saying, "You will speak to me," and he answers. And he's the first. If this is supernatural, he's the first supernatural entity to actually respond to her. Mm-hmm. And that's a, if this is a dark baptism or, a you know, luring her away to be in service of the devil. I mean, that's a power. I mean, that's who was paying attention to Thomason, you know, who was listening to what she wanted, you know, not her family, not her God, you know, Black Philip. Yeah. So, um when I look at it that way, it's like if, if, if I don't, I don't know if it was like an active recruitment so much as it was the devil happened to be around this family because of the, um, sins the family was committing, you know, like if you think about like, you know, how there's all those parallels to Job, Mm -hmm. to the book of Job. And you remember how there's that conversation in the beginning between God and Satan um, where he says, you know, Satan, go down there and, and, you know, menace this family, you know, do these things to this family, because I know that Job is, is true. I know he'll never not be true. And that's the whole point. You know, Satan on a, on decree from God comes and ruins Job's life. And, um, if you look at the story like that, then is that what black Phillips there to do? And the witches just kind of happen to be out there in the wilderness because in the Puritan world, that's where they're at, you know. Um, but I don't know. That's just another another. I was just thinking about the the Job illusions and and you know Satan's walking to and you know he's walking around the world causing mischief and God directs him to do this testing, and testing their faith and right, yeah right. And she says, "I I am Job's wife." She does. I was going to mention that. Yeah. Yeah, and she and Job's wife was like, "Oh well, this God does not love me." You know, she lost everything, so she couldn't believe that God could possibly love her. Well, there's also, you know, to further the biblical, and um, it's more than allusions at this point. It's not even subtext; it's it's text um, mm-hmm. where Caleb like is his mouth is closed and he vomits up an apple 
again. Yeah. Can't get much yeah. more literal than that. Um, yeah. And well, remember he lied. That was his lie. Yeah. He had lied to protect his father. Ah, oh, why we were trying to get you apples, you know, and he did, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of deceit happening in 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 the midst of this family uh, from from the very beginning. But I yeah, I don't think that there's. I mean, I guess there's a way that do, do people read this film as Thomason having been in on it from the beginning? Because I really don't see that at all. Oh, I if I think if anybody reads it in, that way, they just are coming at this maybe misogynistically yeah, even. Because uh, I I, I think they're a really ignorant. It would be like you're just missing so many things. I mean, everybody, you know, the adult characters, the parents are absolutely being tested. I mean, I, you know, again, I, I have sympathy for the Puritan. Like I said, I feel like there's been a degree of scorn and ridicule um, in portrayals of Puritans in media forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, I can, you know, I don't understand. I don't understand. I could never do this. I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just sympathize with it. Cause it just that with their plight, with what they've taken on, you know, the, the spiritual task that they've taken on to be a Puritan, how difficult it is, you know, and it's, you see the father, I think just really, just really trying. Yeah. And just necessity drives him to lie to his wife. The the need to protect his family from starvation causes him to sin. I mean, what is that? I mean, the the primitive instinct to feed your children and your partner, you do that, right? You yeah. do whatever you have to do. Um, but he had to steal, you know, from her to do it. He had to lie cover what he did then he had to sit there and let his daughter take the blame for it you know all because he felt like that was all like he had to do this you know this is what in order to keep his family alive he had to go through all this existential crisis you know what i'm saying that's a difficult spiritual path to walk right you know and i think that's why you don't really see it anymore it just it just was on top of that, it was a difficult physical life. You know, mm-hmm. the 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 building the you know city upon a hill, the you know coming here and not knowing what the hell you're doing. It's yeah, it's it's un the the links to which the the Puritans need to go to prove their their faith <laughs> is beyond unrealistic and unpragmatic. Yeah. And I think that's what the movie is in a lot of ways kind of commenting on where, where Caleb is like, wait a minute. So Samuel would go to hell. What, what did he do? <laughs> He's a baby. And right. like, that doesn't even make right. sense. It's like, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's what the dad said is. And that's just not a good, not a good enough answer basically. And I feel no, like, and the, I feel, and, go ahead. Well, no, well, I was just thinking of the, the collective, the, the collective, just being so fearful. I mean, it, it, coming to the new world um, and risking what they risked to come here and to, in, you know, interpret the scriptures as they saw fit is one thing. But coming here and creating civilization, I mean, that's the isolation, the physical exhaustion, the starvation. Mm-hmm. 
the illness, all those things. I mean, it's terrifying. The collective is, that's trauma, you know? And so I think about Caleb having that conversation about Samuel and that real palpable fear that I could go to hell. Hell is real. Hell is real. I could go there and the devil's out there and these things are real, you know, and, and it's not like you, it's not like William can be the parent where he pats his son and says, Oh, you're just taking this too literally, you know, you're going to be okay. God loves you. Go to bed now. No, I mean, he, he can't tell him that that would be lying to his son. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's trying to comfort his son. I love you. He says, I love you marvelous much. I was really, really touched by that scene, you know, but he can't. He says, look, you know, we don't know. In other words, yeah, Samuel could be in hell. Oh, like, wow. Let's let's (laughs) let's pray on that. Let's pray that he is. Yeah. And that's their. Yeah, that's kind of the solution that they have at this point it's in time. It's rough, man. That's rough. That's rough. That's a rough way to to be spiritually in a physically demanding and hostile environment. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's that's collective trauma, and that's part of our that's part of our history. That's yeah. part of our American identity. Our legend, all the the laws we pass, the things we do, yep. the. Yep. It's all part of this, you know. They could, they could, <laughs> they could call this instead of uh, a New England folktale, a uh, a United States origin story. <laughs> An origin story, sure. <laughs> Pretty why much. Not? I mean, there's a lot of yeah, yeah. you know, at well, a, a few hundred years, but yes. In addition to the all the New England folklore stuff that I love, I love the aesthetic of the 17th century witch and and the folklore mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Again, I teach Macbeth, and I love all of that. Um, I'm also a huge fan of Southern Gothic. You know, and I, I, those are things again, that's that the American origin stories and, and, you know, we love to tell the, the awesome romantic ones about pioneers. And then we love to tell the ones about, you know, where we're skirting the law, we're gangsters and all that. Those are all part of our mythos. And then there's like this stuff too, you know, that's part of what we are and who we are. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they should just be, I'm, I'm grateful for the contribution to the conversation. I think, I don't know if I can really say that about the lighthouse. Um, but I definitely, you know, and, and that, that, that it functions in that same way right. for me as like, like we said, like an American origin story. Cause again, I think that's way more mythic. It's more of a mythical <laughs> allegory yeah. kind of thing. I think. Yeah. Yes. And I think the fact that this is a folk tale means that we need to consider it with all the annals of history. You know, all the things, the art, the poems, the music, the stories that make up where we came from and, and who we are today, you know. Mm-hmm. So. so throughout the course of the film, jo- Jonas and Mercy are constantly talking about <laughs> Black Philip, And I think I, I, I love that the way that the, the film, the way that the witch uh develops that where we're like, are these just little kids making up? So, I mean, we know there's a witch, but we don't, you know, we don't see the full extent of Black Phillip's presence throughout this until the very end, obviously. And I, right. I, so I, I love the way that, that Black Phillip was manipulating it through the children, through the greatest innocence in this family. And I think that makes his, his machinations throughout the rest of the story. I think it makes it that much more chilling that he actually sowed these seeds through the children, unbeknownst to even the children, really, on a certain level. Yeah, and I I completely agree with you. And when you consider that that was all 
just, it was happenstance, you know, again, it was like that goat just decided it was going to bring it, you know, and it just gave them so much footage. Um, when I watch it again, as I, you know, whenever I rewatch it, like I said, I watch it with the subtitles Mm -hmm. and the subtitles include the lyrics to the songs the children are singing. And those are add a whole nother element. The songs they're singing about him, um, add a whole nother element to, yeah, to all that, to, to him just being, yeah. Cause it all starts the, with those kids saying black Phillip said that you're a witch and blah, blah, blah. Um, mm-hmm. and then of course, Thomason, uh, perhaps, perhaps foolishly, uh, leans into that and, and kind of, uh, uses that to freak out the children. Uh, right. but it was also you, sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way too. Right. And you know, well, you notice too, Thomason is because of her position in the family. Like she, she, those are her charges. Right. She has to monitor those children. And she hates that job. And who wouldn't? They're like two of the most obnoxious children <laughs> of all time. And no, no older sister would want to be plagued with that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you notice, the thing that she she complains about to them is their idleness. You play, I'm working, you're idle, you're playing, you're over there singing, you're over there, you know, dallying, all the things that you're doing. And then you're calling me and- names on top of it? Yeah, and and I think that that right there is that other and another at right out of a Puritan prayer book. Mm-hmm. You know, the devil. If you if you are not at work, if you are not at prayer, then you are yeah, that's true. Open and susceptible to the devil. Idle hands in the devil's workshop. Right, and that you know to be at prayer and to be at work is the only way you survive the wilderness of the time period. Right, like that that doesn't just come out of that. Like that didn't just abstractly sound like a good idea. Like that's obviously been proven, you know, by a people who are fighting elements every day in a world they're unfamiliar with. If you aren't working, you better be praying, because this living and surviving doesn't stop. And the fact that those kids are just hopping and skipping and singing and and the goat's just, you know, he's like pan, you know, like you expect him to just like bust out a set of pipes and start playing, Mm. you know, like it's, it's that are, it's that archetypal, you know, and of course pan, you know, is a pre-Christian idea, but you know, Christian Europe just kind of swept up a lot of these these symbols and, and these gods and just kind of lumped them together and, and made them personifications of the devil because they were already existing in the collective of, of the time, you know, and, um, every European culture has some type of, you know, every pre-Christian European culture has some type of horned God that means a lot of things. Typically it doesn't mean something evil and corrupt. It usually is associated with, you know, fertility and masculine strength and and a lot of times even lunar aspects because the horns are kind of symbolic of the moon and of course when you are christianizing europe you are going to borrow what's already there i mean we're talking about different languages everyone's illiterate i mean you just take the existing you take the existing uh stories you take the existing characters and you just start rewriting them and um, I think that's why the, the the symbolism of like the the goat and the devil and all that and how, you know, he's 
like you said, talking to the children and spending time with the children. And the children also see the witch mm-hmm. when nobody else does. You know, she saw the witch take Samuel. Remember Mercy said that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was like, oh, he, Caleb was like, no, a wolf took her. No, I saw the witch. I see her riding on her stick. Like, And you see witches when you're not busy working or praying. You know? Yeah, that's true. And, and uh, the mom stops parenting once Samuel's gone. Because she doesn't sleep. All she does is pray. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. When you mentioned about being them being illiterate, it made me think again of another small detail when um, when Black Philip appears and they have their little chat and he makes mm-hmm. his, his offer and yeah. about the book and she says, I don't, you know, he's like, remove your shift. And he's, she says, uh, she's like, I don't know how to write my name. And he's like, I'll, I'll guide thy hand again. It's like, she doesn't, why would in this time, why would she know how to write her name? Why would she, hey. you know, that makes perfect sense. Um, we're, I feel like we're, we're kind of getting towards the climax end part here. But I, I, one of the, the images I think that stood out to me the most, other than the ending, which I obviously we'll get to in a second, is the, the, when Caleb and Samuel appear to Catherine. And uh, yeah. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. And, yeah. uh, and that was almost as bad as the, uh, the baby scene. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, she's like, oh, you know, yeah, I'll read that book with you. What, do you think he's bringing Black Phillip's book? Because we never find out what book Caleb is talking about. Well, okay. So again, I always believed that Caleb was saved. So I don't think well, not that real Caleb appearing actually, as Caleb. Yes. Yeah. Right. I agree. That's what I'm saying. I think that so, so, so I, so we're agreeing that this is, this is Satan manipulating Catherine mm-hmm. by appearing yes. as, as a, so yeah, I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. Like that, that was the opportunity for her to sign away her name in the promise that she would be reunited with her two children. Um, but I th- yeah, like what else would that be? That's yeah. And then, and then she says, uh, and she doesn't do it. Does she, she doesn't no, do it. Right. No, because she's like, Oh, Samuel's hungry. And then, yeah, it, yes, yes. Uh, I think it, then it, it's intercut with the children discovering the witch basically the yeah, feeding off of the, the goat or like drinking the milk, I think of the goat. Um, right. And then the witch turns and laughs and it cuts to Catherine with the crow pecking at her at her breast. Uh, that scene, that was the moment where I was like, oh, crap, it's coming. <laughs> yeah, the shadows have fallen. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, exactly. It's, it's like gone. we're in hell. At this point, we're, we, are, we are absolutely. 100%. Yeah, the movie is just like, yeah, we're not going to play with like, is it a witch? What's going on? Yeah, there's a witch. Yeah. Is it? They're like, nope, we're in full on like, yeah, exactly. Although I still appreciate the fact, you know, because I, I definitely felt that way, too, when I saw that scene. And I still, uh, even, you know, with that scene, I really appreciate the surprise. I mean, it wasn't like it was a huge surprise that Black Phillip spoke. Right. But it was pretty cool. You know, it wasn't something I necessarily expected him to do. Like, I didn't anticipate that she would turn around and say, you're going to talk to me now. You know, Um, I anticipated the story ending where, you know, when she wanders out of the barn and the thing happens to her father and then the thing happens between her and her mother, um, that I would just see her kind of wander into the woods and assume that she finds the witches or she perishes in the woods because I don't see her going back to civilization after that. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, instead, she she has the struggle with her mother and you know kills her in self defense basically, and yeah. and then has a little nap basically uh, essentially, and then wakes up uh, to the ominous sound of chimes. And I you know I hundred percent agree with you. People listening to this, I want to point out the movie is on Netflix. I have it on Blu-ray, but I don't have a digital copy, so I actually just watched it on Netflix. And having the subtitles on does make a huge difference in relation yeah, to the language, really the songs, even like this, you know, the, the sounds, the score, it really highlights elements that are like really sort of low, in, like subtly mixed into the soundtrack, I mm-hmm. think. Um, so the chimes run and then, yeah, Black Phillip appears, uh, appears there. And, and it, it's to, you know, to the point of, of empathizing with the Puritans in, in this time period oh, yeah. in the, in the this the plight that they're in by the end of the movie she has been you know rattled with guilt over what happened to her her you know to the baby she's been Mm -hmm. pointed fingers at blamed for everything basically turned on by her entire family including her father who boards Mm -hmm. them up in there with black philip just like hey figure it out guys um we'll in the morning we'll go back uh, and he basically you know reneges again sets herself sets aside the pride that led them to being banished in in a way Mm-hmm. And uh, and then is is nearly choked out by her mom. So at that point, with nothing left, with her mo- mother's blood on her, she doesn't. What is she going to do? It's kind of like you know, she's out of options at this point. So yeah, living deliciously sounds kind of pretty good to me right about now. Well, you know, absolutely, and I think that that's a hundred percent supportable argument. And I also think that if you look at it like does it serve its purpose as a folktale? So let's just think, okay, so we've been evaluating his um, recreation, his version of a folktale, and we're saying, you know, we appreciate these things about it. So let's just look at it like if it was actually a New England folktale. I mean, why shouldn't it be? It's just a 21st, you know, so 21st century, but yes, the six, so it represents 17th century New England folklore. Does it, does it function? And it does because it reinforces the assumptions of the time period. Um, Caleb is the, the um, desirable child. Caleb is saved by God, right? Um, the father loses everything because of pride. Um, the mother, like, like you said, the sins, like every, you know, the, 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 the two, the two small children are corrupted because they're idle and, and playful when they should be at work. And, and yes, the teenage girl is a witch because (laughs) they're pretty much all witches. <laughs> Those teenage girls are always up you know to something. Like, like, of course, the teenage girl would go off with the goat into the forest. Right. Of course she would, because she is corrupt, and that's what they would do. So absolutely, I mean, it's like, it, it, it's interesting because when it when it functions perfectly as a folktale in, in, in that it's teaching these lessons and reaffirming these assumptions, it also, I think, does allow the audience to pass judgment on those things or evaluate mm-hmm. those things. So that's good storytelling yeah. to me, you know, because it didn't, you know, I, you know how like, uh, the, the, the tropes in certain horror movies where like the, the cliche trope where the, the, the most sexually active girl is the first to get killed. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. and we all, you know, we all know what that, you know, there's no, we don't think about that. We don't, we're not, we don't question that when we see that happen, there's an expectation that she will be punished and she'll be the one that deserves it because you have to, you know, we have to be, you know, invested in the other care, you know, the ones we really care about, the good ones, the ones we don't really want anything bad to happen to. Well, I didn't get that sense at all. I didn't get this, even though I can see how each, each character reinforced an assumption at the time. I still had sympathy for all of them. Mm -hmm. I still saw them as fleshed out and believable and authentic. So that's, I mean, that's a, that doesn't seem like something like real easy to do, you know, mm -hmm. or genre, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And to have this level of authenticity to it as far as the, the language and the, the production design in this movie is out, is outstanding. And, and what, what, what did you like about it? Like what stuck out for you as far as the production design? Yeah. 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 Um, just like the, the trees, the, the huh. big, like the big horizons, like this movie makes so much use out of, out of its setting. It's sort of remote and, and you, you feel the sense of isolation that this family is experiencing. Yeah. In this a lot movie. of so wide angle shots. Yes. In the forest, a lot of wide angle shots, a lot of expansive horizons, but always the woods, right? Mm -hmm. In the background, always the woods. You know, that's what you're always seeing back there. You see their their little settlement, right? Their little farm. It's so rickety. Mm -hmm. It's so, and you know, and this dude is just chopping wood. Oh my God. Do you remember the scene? This really stuck out at me this last time I watched it. The scene where Thomasine confronts her father about his failures as a man mm -hmm. and a father. You know, you can't hunt. You can't farm. All you do is chop wood. Yeah. And he dies under that freaking pile of wood. It's true. He does. You know, and it's just like he's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Because I understand her ferocity. I understand her anger and how, you know, for once she's kind of standing up and saying, you know what, I'm not taking this another minute. I'm not your scapegoat. I am not the, you know, the, the imperfect person, you know, wh whatever you think I am. And if, if we're going to be talking about this, let's talk about you, you know, and why we're here and you can't do, we're here because of you and you can't do this. And all those, those are all truths. Mm -hmm. He fails at all those tasks. It goes back to that look that she shot his way at the very beginning of the movie in the very first scene. Right. 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 And, and that's heartbreaking because uh, you know, that I love that actor. I remember, I remember him in game of Thrones and I find his voice, um, very hypnotic. Um, and he, uh, I, I just, I want him to succeed. You know, I believe his, his devotion to God. I believe I, I, I admire his spirit and that's part of our American identity, too, that when he stands up and says, I will not be judged by false Christians, you know, that 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 moment of freedom, like I did not come here so that I'll to be persecuted like this, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I think that that I think that that's powerful. And that's how we see him. That's the first, you know, that's him before his 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 tragic fall. That's him in his height. Like, you can't judge me. You know, it's that moment in like the crucible where John Proctor says, no, I do not. I, you, I'm not going to sign this paper and you're not going to nail it to the freaking church door because God knows how black my sins are. 
I don't need to write my name. I, this doesn't, you know, there, he says, is there no penitence lest it be public? Right. And it's that same moment, you know, that he's that I think on a little slightly lesser scale. And it's not until he says, you know, they said, OK, well, are you willing to be banished over? And he says, well, I'd be glad of it. OK, well, now you'd be glad of it. But he's caught up, you know, he's caught up in that righteousness. Mm-hmm. And that righteousness is awesome. We admire that about him, but it's also dangerous. It's that very fine line between, you know, that, that again, that that's that that in that space of being righteous and making decisions from that space, and are you righteous or are you arrogant? Right. You know, and I think that that's uh, that moment with Thomasine where she hits him all those times, hit, hits him where it hurts. It's like she emasculates him essentially based on you know the standards of the time period, all the ways that he's supposed to function as a father and a husband. He has failed that. And now he's failed as a Christian because his family has been damned. That moment where he breaks down and he says, have I damned my family? Mm-hmm. I think he dies believing that he's done that. You know, well, He says, uh, corruption art is my father, I think. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. She's, yeah. yeah. Um, so we go through, I want to also point out that the fact that this movie is, I think, 96 minutes long in a, in a time where it feels like every movie yeah. is two and a half hours, which is fine yeah. if the movie allows for it but being a folktale i think keeping the movie keep, keeping it tightly edited and getting in getting yeah. out having a very focused story i think mm-hmm. is to the film's credit um so we go through you know 96 minutes or whatever of uh of th- this this level of cinematography and of acting of you know um production design and, and the writing and all of that and then we end up at that final scene where she walks uh she walks over to the, the woods, the witches are gathered and by the bonfire. Mm-hmm. They have the, the, I think it even said in the in the subtitle, snake-like chatting. So I was immediately thinking, <laughs> so me, actually, this year of doing the Harry Potter series, so immediately I was like, they're speaking Parseltongue, kind of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. She walks up and she's, you know, laughing and levitating and that kind of thing. And, you know, the big wide shot of her up by the treetops. Um, yeah. So my question to you is, Knowing that this is movie is presented, the story is presented from a puritanical standpoint, which is obviously is no surprise a patriarchal society, and mm-hmm. that the movie is, is presented from that perspective, but we're also seeing it mostly from Thomason's point of view. Is that ending supposed to be sort of uh, reaffirming to the former? Whereas, look, the teenage girl was the witch. I told you. Or right. is it supposed to be sort of empowering in a weird feminist way? Like, what is your okay. kind of breakdown of so that? I- I think, and I thought about this, and I and I think we can narrow it down. We can actually narrow that down to one question: okay. Is it a happy ending? That yeah, depends on who you ask. Yeah, is it a happy ending? Um, I I don't think it has anything to do. Okay, uh, all right. So okay, so I guess I'm going to kind of um, address my own question okay. that will lead back that will lead back to your questions. Cool. So I don't think that was a moment of happiness. So I'm answering my own question. I don't think that was a happy ending. I don't think that was a moment of happiness for her. I think there was a moment of rapture. And I think it's parallel to Samuel's rapture. And I think, again, the, the, the great, and the father says this, I think, somewhere in the story that, you know, your, your achievement as a Puritan is that rapture, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that elation, that, that closeness to God. 
you know, that the, and the, and all that comes with that, you know, the grace that comes with that. Um, well, of course we see Samuel experience that. I mean, it's a pretty jarring situation, but I, it felt pretty authentic to me. And then we see this kind of parallel with Thomasine where she walks into the circle and she, you know, lets this happen to her. And, and at first, you know, she, you can sort of see she's what, you know, what's going on. It's like, she walks onto like that Goya painting, right. Mm. Where it's the witches around the fire and the goat is there. And, and then, you know, like the, when, when, when she's lifting up off the ground, I mean, she's ecstatic, she's rapturous and she must be experiencing freedom. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I mean, I think it's feminist in that it does present an image of a woman experiencing rapturous freedom, which is not something that is typically uh, portrayed in in art. Um, And I think in that way, it's feminist. I don't know so much about the way witchcraft presents itself in the story, if that was a feminist argument or if that had it, if that do you, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, yeah. um, I mean, I think I think there's no doubt that the witch itself is a feminist. You know, is a, it can be read as a as a feminist symbol. There's no question. Women who are living outside of the um, confines of patriarchy, right. and when viewed from inside patriarchy, they are wicked and terrible. And they come and they eat your babies. How dare they have their own ideas and, they, and yes. thoughts and all, yeah, right. ambitions. Or, or how, how dare they not remarry and right. share their property? Um, how dare they, you know, all the things. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think there are, there are elements to that. Um, I, I mean, I also just think it really is just a portrait of, of the 17th century cartoon, witch. that this is what, you know, they go clickety clickety and they fly around and they. Well, the, scream, the witch in the know? barn turned literally turns and goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's. I mean, I think. I mean, I think that again. He said uh, the the director said in an interview that from the time he was a child, witches have uh, intrigued and scared him, and he felt like a defining moment in his childhood was the Wicked Witch of the West, mm-hmm. and. That was probably the first time he felt being truly terrified by something. And um, I think that he's absolutely <laughs> telling a story that's going to scare him. Yeah. You know, like this this would scare me. This would scare the <laughs> crap out of me. I mean, I grew up in New England. This is this is what happened here. I mean, this is what the, you know, this was so real that, you know, 19 plus people, whatever, died for it, right? I mean... It's yeah. Yeah. And I think that the strength in, in that ending is that you can make arguments for both sides. You're like, you know, on the one hand, you know, clearly the witches going around and stealing babies and and murdering them. That wouldn't, you know, we're not, we're not uh, advocating baby mashing on the crooked table podcast. Um, But it is, it is, it is rough when, you want to be, I mean, I want to be happy right. for Thomasine in that moment. I want to believe her to be free of what I've just seen her endure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to think about her snatching people's babies right. and doing those things, you know. But, yeah, from a but perspective a, of but her But again, having, she's going yeah. to because she's, you know, she's a 
she's a witch in a Puritan world, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel, I mean, she, she tries, she tries to do the things that are expected of her. She tries, she, she does everything the way she thinks she needs to do them to make her parents happy, to make God happy, to make, to make everyone but her happy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and she's punished for it. She's just repeatedly punished for it. And I think there is, you know, there is something, I mean, if, again, if we're going to look at this archetype or, you know, if we're going to look at this, not just archetypally, but like from a feminist perspective, and this is, this is about how, you know, how femininity is defined or, you know, in patriarchy and all those things. I mean, yeah, it, it does, it, how, how, when, when you look at Thomasine, how do you be her? How do you serve a system that hates you? How do you be in service to an ideology that finds you just disgustingly corrupt, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then at the same time have a real authentic desire to know grace and to know God and to have a relationship with the divine, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's gotta be tough. It's gotta be tough. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, I mean, where, like I said, where would she go? Would she go back to mm-hmm. the plantation? They're going to ask her what happened to your parents. It'd and your siblings and your goats. It's like, where is everything? Right. Yeah. And what, what would happen to her? She would hang. Yeah, exactly. You know? I feel like in process and having and talking through the ending, I feel like it, it's, there are levels. Like at first you're horrified. You're like, oh my gosh, she joined the witches. That's scary. <laughs> and then on the other hand, you're like, well, now she's kind of free to do her own thing and she doesn't have to answer to, you know, her, she's, you know, ha- have, she's more empowered than she's ever been. But then now I'm right. feeling like there might be a third level. I'm like, okay, well now she's not serving her father. Now she's serving the devil. Same. Is that better? Right. I, don't, I don't, I don't know. No, again, it's a Puritan. <laughs> it's, she's it's still, a Puritan she's still in service to a, a, a male figure, uh, a male authority and the jo- figure. And, and the joke is on her, <laughs> right. right? Her, her power comes from him not from her. Mm-hmm, so exactly. in that regard, she, it, it's difficult to see her as a, as a, to see that moment. Okay. It's easy to see that moment of her, uh, you know, flying in elation as maybe a feminist moment, but then the whole moment where he tells her to take off her clothes and sign the book and, and, you know, making her be subordinate mm-hmm, in that way. Yeah. You know, um, that's certainly, I mean, again, that it, she's still paying for that, you know, she's, she's still in service, like you said, to, to a male authority. Um, and I think in the case of Thomasine, it's just gr- immediate gratification with the devil. I mean, that, that would be the puritanical me- or the Christian message, not just puritanical, but the archetypal and the Christian message as the devil, the devil as the trickster, Right. Like I am giving you what you want and you just get to enjoy it until, you know, until it's time to pay up, basically, until it's time to pay up. Right. Um, And so it's still again, it it still functions, you know, as that. The, you know, reinfer, I guess, like I said, reinforcing the, the assumptions of the of the time that. She she's just being controlled by him now, you know. Do you think there's an element, and this you know kind of remind the ending, watching it the second time uh, today, reminded me a little bit of the last shot of Midsummer. Do you think there there's a certain element, and I guess mild spoilers for the end of Midsummer, 
do you, mm-hmm. do you think there's a certain element of elation sort of mixed with madness? Like, is there a little bit of, of, like, of the character that's t- cracked there? Go ahead. Okay, so you're talking about, and I'm sorry, what was the girl's, the, the character's name in Midsummer? Does it I probably doesn't matter? I don't remember, yeah. <laughs> she, when she makes the decision. At the very right. end, when, when she's the, watching the, uh, the, the, I forget what the, the building, final the sacrifice. fire, yeah, burning, yeah. and the last shot of her face, and she's like frowning, and then it turns to a smile, like literally right before the, the right. credits roll. I feel like, I think Florence Pugh, in that film, I think she said that she was playing it sort of like her character is kind of like lost, snapped a little bit or lost sense of reality, but you could also read into it or is she empowered from that toxic relationship, uh, like liberated from it. And I think kind of both in a way. And I feel like the witch, there's a certain element of, well, I've just seen my whole family got killed. A goat just told me to sign a book and now I'm floating. There's a little bit of her being that she's kind of lost touch with what's going on around her and it, sure. it mixed in with everything else that, that she's experiencing in that moment. Well, I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, I mean, again, there's, there's some, there's both things have that, that, that moment of, Freedom, and that can absolutely be freedom from sanity. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I do feel like for Midsummer, for me, I as I was watching it I, the whole time, I kept judging their relationship yeah. and feeling like this is so toxic, and this is so part of why she is the way she is. You know, being in a relationship like that and how it compounded her anxiety. And all of the things and how inauthentic he always was with her and how she was intuiting he was inauthentic, but he feels himself noble in his inauthenticity because it's out of his his desire to protect her Mm -hmm. from some terrible truth. And she just, you know, destroys that part of herself, I think, by destroying him. Right. You know, um, so yeah, but I, I so like for that, that was kind of how I, I mean, I kind of read that. I think like kind of like that. I, I don't know if it's Jungian, if it's like a Jungian idea, but this idea that like in your dreams, you are every, like every character in your dreams is you. Mm. So whatever you have it, whatever you're in conflict with, whatever you're interacting with is some aspect of, of you. Um, and I, Midsummer is very feels very subcon like unconscious like it's very dreamy to me like the and the 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 color palette everything that the the sound um and so i kind of just looked at her i looked at that as like it was like a, all these things were kind of projections of her um but anyway i'm probably reading way too much into that but uh, <laughs> that, that was i don't know that's so yeah when i okay so when i think about thomason uh, yeah i mean you just kind of burn it all, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't. You can't go back. It's a very. She can't. It, it's a very rich. It's a very rich ending. I mean, I think we could have honestly, we probably could have done a podcast episode just on the last shot of this movie and be like, well, yeah. what is happening? Let's break it down. These are the five yeah. central emotions that Thomason's probably feeling right now. Um, right. So no, no, I think that's. I think that's kind of a, a good point to to wrap that up on just because I feel like it is kind of an unanswerable question. It's really depending on what you're bringing. I mean, as, as most films are, what you're bringing to it and uh, how you want to interpret the events that, that, you know, that's sort of playing out on screen. Well, I think that, I think that the intended, I think that the intended reaction 
was for us to see it both ways. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, obviously the, the nuance is intentional. Um, I think if you, if you only see it as a horror movie about the devil and how the devil is out to get us, then you really miss the complexities of character. Mm. Um, you know, um, you, you really miss the story being about a re- less about the devil and more about a religious crisis, right. a crisis of not faith, but it, it wasn't, I never felt like his, like, Again, I'm looking at William, the patriarch of the family, as the representation of the Puritan ideal or the striving towards the Puritan ideal. And I don't think that he was having a crisis of faith. I think his faith was pretty solid. I think he was kind of having a crisis of action, like what to do. Right. Because he kept finding himself having to be dishonest and he kept compounding his sins. Um. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think I I I, I think that if 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 we just look at it like, oh, it's a story about the devil. It's a horror movie, and I, and I kind of like. I mean, I, there are several horror movies about the devil that I that I like. I like. I, I have a I have a fondness of uh, for a uh, you know like again, Rosemary's Baby and the Omen come to mind. Right. You know, um, I like that kind of uh, story, and. Uh, but again, I think if you look at it that way, you really are missing what he intended. I, I don't think it's that much about the devil at all. I think the devil is a character in the story, but I don't think it's about him. I agree 100%. I think, and I think people coming with that more superficial read explains why a lot of people that like a, a lot of people came out of this movie being like, what the hell did I just watch? Like, I don't think they, they read, they appreciated all the depth to it that they were just like, I just wanted to see some, some crazy shit happen on screen. And I was like, what the hell? This lady's floating. I don't get it. Um, and I, well, the marketing <laughs> campaign was pretty ingenious. Yeah. They had a really great marketing campaign. And I think that, like you said, I mean, we've grown accustomed to, to certain things in horror. And I'm glad that that definition is expanding to, like I said, include me because I am a chicken and I don't like jump scares. I don't like being real grossed out. You know, I just don't have it in me. I just want a really good creepy story that it doesn't even have to be as layered and as deep as the witch. I mean, the, you know, the witch was special, um, in that regard. Um, I certainly don't think Rosemary's baby was anywhere near as layered and as deep as the witch, but it was a really entertaining movie. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Well, um, we don't have anything else to to mention about The Witch. Uh, Amy Otero, can you, I guess, tell people where they can find you on social media? Um, <laughs> do you have anything like you want? Yes, to I do. I'm on. I'm on Twitter. Okay. Yes, I am on Twitter. Thank you. What is your uh, What is your handle there? It's just Amy Otero. Okay. It's pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that works perfectly. I have, pretty, I have I have an almost non-existent social media presence. <laughs> uh, I rarely use Twitter, but I can't imagine anybody wanting to find me on Facebook as I, I don't know. But anyway. Well, I will be tagging you when I post the episode. So people might, that might hear this might be like, oh, that Amy person, she, she spoke so eloquently about the witch. I have to see what she's about. Uh. Well, again, I love talking about story. Well, then story's awesome. I would, you know, I would love to have you back on at some other, at some point sure. to talk about another movie. 
this was Sounds this great. was a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about The Witch. I, I actually hadn't seen it since I think I got it at Redbox or something like soon after it yeah. hit home video uh, and then bought it on like Blu-ray for Black Friday or something like that. And I hadn't yeah. watched it since until now. So it was a good reason to go back and watch it again. Right. And um, right. yeah, it's, wow. really, it's a really special movie. I agree. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Amy. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. I appreciate it, too. Thank you. You have a great night. Thanks, you, too. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED. <laughs>